Hi there. You're listening to So What, a podcast from Canadian Mennonite University. CMU is in Treaty 1 territory in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm your host, Jonas Cornelson, and I'm in Treaty 7, Calgary, Alberta. This is the second episode of our graduation series, catching up with CMU alumni who spoke at grad about what their experience at university meant to them. In the spirit of this podcast name, one way or another I've been asking, so what? Did those experiences and reflections connect with what you ended up doing outside of CMU? We're going to hear one person's story right here. Don't touch that dial. This month, our guest is Kenji Dick, who graduated from CMU in spring of 2019 with a major in communications and media. In his speech at the event known as With Gratitude, Kenji connects storytelling with transcendence. I will not try to explain that for you now. Before we get into my conversation with Kenji, I'll let him explain it in his graduation speech. Here we go. Good morning. Um, My name is Kenji Dick, and I am graduating with a major in communications and media and a minor in English. Over the last four years at CMU, I like to think that I have spent my time learning how to tell stories. Stories that are profound, confrontational, and ultimately hopeful. But in my attempt to understand the nature of storytelling, I've also developed a burning curiosity. I ultimately came to this central question. How can our creative stories be expressive of something more? How can they be expressive of what some would call the transcendent? Now, what is the transcendent in this context? While there's some debate over the meaning of this term, I like to think that a moment of transcendence is one of profound emotional transformation, in which the viewers briefly witness the glory and love that is God. It is those moments where watching a great movie, reading an engaging book, or listening to a beautiful piece of music when, uh, that produces immense euphoria. It's hard to put into words, but when it occurs, I feel, simply put, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the piece's expression of a greater beauty, of a form of love that is beyond our comprehension. Um, when our creative works achieve such an effect, we become not only emotionally engaged with the work, but are also oriented to that which lies beyond the piece itself. So how can a creative piece be expressive of this? As you can imagine, this is no easy task. And the first problem that I ran into when trying to figure this out is that many stories that surround us today seem to produce the opposite of transcendence. In some classes, such as Chris Hubner's The City and the Wire and Paul Dick's Revenge on the Stage and Screen, we encounter stories of depravity, cruelty, and death. In pieces of media, such as the television show The Wire, and films as Calvary and First Reformed, we witness characters who are subject to immense suffering. These narratives are difficult because they're reflective, reflective of our own suffering and a reminder of our fallen nature. Therefore, when we watch these stories, we are tempted to come to despairing conclusions. But despite the temptation towards despair, I came to realize from the suffering of these various characters that the transcendent could be expressed. In his book, Cities of God, Anglican theologian Graham Ward argues that our bodies, our physical material bodies, are signs, signs of that which lies beyond the material as a nature of God's being. It is only through the materiality of our bodies that we're able to participate in the glorious, beautiful, and loving nature of the eternal. Thus, it is by recognizing the wounds of creation within our stories, the pains of the material, 
that the promise of the resurrection can be communicated. While I had spent much of a lot of my classes writing and thinking about this, the profound truth of transcendence came to me unexpectedly during a performance of a choral piece. I'm a chorister for CMU Singers, and about a month ago, our choir performed for a Tuesday morning chapel. We regularly do this, so everything indicated that this performance would be no different. However, as we began singing, something changed. The song we performed that day was A Celtic Prayer by Barry Sanders, which you will hear this afternoon. And the song reads as a prayer as follows. May the Christ who walks on wounded feet walk with you on the road. May the Christ who serves with wounded hands stretch out your hands to serve. May the Christ who loves with a wounded heart open up your heart to love. May you see Christ in everyone you meet and may everyone you meet see the face of Christ in you. Despite the fact I had performed this song numerous times, I was suddenly overwhelmed. In my attempt to understand how creative works communicate the holy, I realized that this song was a perfect summary of transcendental works, particularly expressed in the line, may you see Christ in everyone you meet, and may everyone you meet see the face of Christ in you. Here the prayer indicates that in order for us to witness the transcendent, that glorious reality that is beyond our comprehension, we must look towards the fallen but redeemed materiality of our varied bodies. In that moment, in that specific lyric, I saw a glimmer of the eternal. But this time, I knew how such a moment of transcendence came to be. From communications, English, philosophy, theology, and finally music, I have learned that the transcendent is expressed from within the material. In order to create stories as expressive of something more, of something that is beyond the paper, the pen, the score sheet, and even the screen, we must tell stories about the pains of the ordinary so to communicate the extraordinary. May you see Christ in everyone you meet, and may everyone you meet see the face of Christ in you. For having learned that, I am grateful. Thank you. Wow. Kenji packed a lot in there for four and a half minutes or so. Luckily, I had the chance to catch up with him over Zoom and break some of it down. We talked about transcendence, film editing, and even Thanksgiving dinner. If it sounds crazy, it probably is. But it might all come together when you find out what Kenji was up to only six months after graduation. Here's our conversation. talking with Kenji Dick, graduated from CMU in spring of 2019. And by the fall of 2019, in October that year, you found yourself on a tour bus south of Lethbridge, Alberta, rolling past sugar beet fields. How'd you get down there? Yeah, so, so the context is that is that I was approached by the National Association of Japanese Canadians and the Nikkei National Museum to um, create a documentary about uh, a bus tour of multi-generational Japanese Canadians who had all had uh, either direct or through their previous generations experience um, with uh, sugar beet labor. The historical context behind this tour is related to the Japanese internment uh, experience and story that came out of World War II when Japanese Canadians were forcefully relocated from the west coast uh, into the interior of BC. Some Japanese Canadians had the option to not go towards internment camps, but instead go to the sugar beet industry in southern Alberta, which is where many, which is where a decent portion of them went to. Yeah. So the bus tour was 
about going to various towns and various various towns in southern Alberta, like such as Raymond, Alberta, um, where concentrations of these of these Japanese Canadian communities formed around the sugar beet industry there. And the tour was about remembering these experiences and trying to preserve these experiences, preserve the memory of these experiences for future generations. These stories have a very decent chance of fading away because there's not as many Japanese Canadians who live in the, that area as they as they once were. So yeah, I I was invited to come along with this bus tour for, uh, for that to record it and then to to make a documentary out of it uh, mm-hmm. as a result. Yeah, that documentary is called Bittersweet Trail. It's available on YouTube. I watched it recently. I really enjoyed it. I thought the story was fascinating. But but this was a difficult story. Like conditions were hard for these people. Japanese people were highly stigmatized and and it was very much a forced choice as you said it was that or the internment camps. And in April of that year in 2019, you got up on stage at at CMU grad and and talked about kind of transcendence or or emotional transformation in storytelling. Where, where we kind of take the pains of the ordinary and witness something extraordinary. Can you talk about an experience of transcendence or emotional transformation in telling this particular story? It's interesting because for me, the kind of transformative experience I may have had with this production, I would argue really came around the editing process. And hmm. that's a bit odd to say because I think you would normally assume that maybe one would have a transformative experience by being there directly and being there with those people. But for me, it really came in the editing process because as I was like putting it together and and like putting all the interviews together and creating a script out of it, I began to realize what was like truly important about this story um, yeah. by realizing that many of the interviewees were hitting at the same kind of at the same point of persevering through injustice and not forgetting about that story. Every single person that was interviewed on that bus tour hit on that point quite well, that despite the great pains that they and their parents or their grandparents may have felt during uh, during this whole process of being forcibly removed from the West Coast, that they didn't give up and that they they carried on. Um, they, they firmly stood by the term of shikata kanai, which is, which is this term for perseverance in Japanese. And they all emphasize on the point of that for this to never happen again, we must we must hold on to these stories. For mm-hmm. for our children and for our grandchildren and so forth, yeah. And I think when it occurred to me that like every person had kind of hit on this point in one way or another uh, in the editing process, I think that was where I was like, okay, like this is this is like this is the important moment in the film. And I think that maybe that message, that overall message of perse- perseverance in spite of injustice, is perhaps like the the film's like closest moment to revealing something universally truthful that one could call the transcendent, mm-hmm. perhaps. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, of course, I think a lot of that is also really dependent on how one, you know, reacts to the film in those moments, right? Because, like, I think for me, as I kind of hinted at in my speech, like, transcendence in media and transcendence in narrative storytelling is, like, is a huge, is a moment of, like, profound emotional transformation. And how one kind of gets to that point definitely varies. It also totally depends on context too, right? Like the viewer's context as well. Yeah. Um, it, it would be different perhaps if you had Japanese Canadian roots or, or ancestry. Oh yeah. As a, as a fifth generation Japanese Canadian myself, like I do have like uh, a pretty close connection to that, to that general story. Now for context, like my family didn't come out of the sugar beet fields. Their, 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 mm-hmm. their experience was more directly just with the internment camps in interior BC. But mm-hmm. um, just hearing about other Japanese Canadian stories, certainly made it very, very powerful. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know, I, I guess I felt that spiritual transformation that 
that it, like that kind of emotional euphoria while I was editing it and kind of realizing yeah. the significance of what people were saying. Because it hits you again and again in editing, right? You're you're going through all of this different footage you have, and and that that direct connection really pops out at you differently than when you're kind of experiencing it in what we might call real time uh, in in the production <laughs> right. experience. Yeah, yeah. Hey, quick note at this point. I wanted to explore a couple specific moments in the film, and I mentioned the name David Iwasa. David was a lead organizer of this bus tour and one of the main interviewees in the documentary. And as you'll hear in some of the quotes I pulled out, he's got a way with words. I, I was really interested when, when David Iwasa, in, in the last interview you show, he had a couple of really, um, I found, kind of punchy quotes. <laughs> he, he said, yeah. you know, this... He held up a sugar beet, this this white, kind of ugly-looking plant, and he just said, this lowly root is the reason why our lives were uprooted, all on behalf of this little beet. Yeah, yeah. And and I wonder if, did that make you think any differently about what labor brings brings our food to the table? Do you, How did that experience affect you, uh, say, when you sit down to Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> um, I think, yeah, it, it absolutely... I think in like in short, it definitely makes me really, you know, reflect in the very least, very reflective of of how we yeah, of how we attain some of the most basic things in our lives, such as like vegetables or food or are mm. like the most convenient things of like such as such as the gear that we use, like even the phone that I'm holding in my hand right now. Right. Like it makes me reflective of like what are the stories behind these things that we just take for for granted in our lives. Right. And you know, when we learn about those stories, I think we inevitably might be compelled to like to a sense of like, you know, maybe some level of guilt or some uh, and certainly some level of sorrow. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I think some of those perspectives are certainly granted. But I think for me in this particular story, I mean, I, I certainly got a sense of sorrow from from thinking about like how, you know, for, for sugar beets anyways, like it, it's it's not even just a root vegetable. It's like it's just even the, the regular white sugar that we use. Right. Like a lot of the regular white sugar yeah. that we use is a direct result of sugar beet farming, most of it. And mm -hmm. so um, so even like buying sugar, it's like it's like, OK, right. Like this, this is from the sugar beet. The very good chance of the sugar that I'm, I'm holding right now is like the result of sugar beet labor, possibly in southern Alberta, for example. Right. And there is a profound story here of 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 Japanese Canadians uh, being forced to work in that industry from that. Okay, I can't resist pausing to let this one sink in. You have never stood in a grocery store holding a bag of white sugar and thought, there is a profound story here, specifically of Japanese Canadian history and forced labor. But now you know, and you can't go back. You're welcome. Back to Kenji. I, I get a sense of sorrow and I get a sense of reflection, but I also get a sense of like profound gratitude for, you know, for, for being able to learn about that story and now being more wiser as a result of it, like, or be in the very least more knowledgeable of it. And so, and and then therefore hopefully it makes me more attuned to not being so ignorant necessarily of all those kind of stories in the future. Right. Right. There's, yeah, transcendence, but also interconnectedness, yes, if you will. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm saying that as like as a Japanese Canadian, but like I even prior to this, like I mm -hmm. I didn't really actually know a lot about the Japanese Canadian experience in sugar beet farming. And so now that like I now with this experience, it's like okay, like now I could see how there's a lot of interconnectedness between all this. But now I'm I'm grateful for 
for having learned this now, for people willing to hold on to the stories so that they could precisely teach me and other, yeah. you know, genera- younger generations of Japanese Canadians like me and others about those stories. The other punchy quote that uh, David Awasa had was, was talking about the nature of the journey. And he said, as any good pilgrimage, it's a reinforcement of the faith. What do you, what do you think is the nature of that faith in the Japanese Canadian community? And, and for yourself going forward, how do you tell that story of, of what happened there? Yeah. Um, that's a uh, good question. Jonas. Um, I've had a lot of thoughts over the past few years about like what defines me as Japanese Canadian, like what makes me Japanese Canadian just beyond my name, because my first name Kenji is noticeably Japanese. And I've struggled that a lot because like, I, you know, I don't speak the language uh, and I don't necessarily look Japanese, right? Like I'm very like light, light skinned in that regard. And so mm-hmm. normally when I tell people that I'm, I'm, I'm half Japanese, it like most of the time it takes them by surprise. And so I, you know, it leads me to this question of like, what ident- what makes me Japanese Canadian? Like, what is even a Japanese Canadian identity? If like, if there, if I don't even have any like immediate signifiers that I, I am of, I am Japanese Canadian. And this story, th- this particular experience of being on this bus tour and filming this bitter, filming Bittersweet Trail, made me realize that like, what defines being Japanese Canadian is narrative. It, it's storytelling. It's the experiences that the, the my that my family, that my mother and my and my grandparents have gone through, and and the stories that have come out of those experiences that make me Japanese Canadian. And it's the storytelling of those direct experiences that will define me as Japanese Canadian. You know, to myself, to my friends, to my family. Um, you know, maybe hopefully my children. Right. Um, this that is what defines me as JC. And so I think what mm-hmm. what David's getting at there. Is that like with the whole bus tour being a reminder of the ja- of the sugar beet experience that we're we're each one's each person on that bus tour is being reminded of their particular experiences in the sugar beet fields and you can see that in the documentary with with many with some people just talking about their direct experiences their very hard experiences of working on the mm-hmm. of working in sugar beet labor them being reminded of those stories right is is reinforcing their Japanese Canadian identity right their distinct Japanese Canadian identity. And I think that's what, and so I think that's, I think that's what Dave was getting at. Yeah. Well, and it all goes back to what you said off the top of your, of your with gratitude speeches is, is you've spent time learning how to tell stories and, and it's taken you to this place where, where you've also been more affirmed in, in your unique identity as a person and in, uh, and in sharing that with your community. I think that's uh, that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Thank you. So, so glad to chat with you. And, um, folks should watch your documentary <laughs> yeah if you would like to watch bittersweet trail it is available on youtube you can even just look up bittersweet trail and it should be one of the first things that pops up but you can also find bittersweet trail at the nikkei national museum youtube channel kenji dick is a 2019 cmu grad freelance filmmaker and thinker of great thoughts <laughs> what a pleasure to talk to you kenji thank you thank you so much jonas It was super fun to talk with Kenji about his filmmaking experience and how it relates to his own story. I got so wrapped up in the interview, I stopped drinking water, and as you could hear, my voice even started cracking. That's what it's like living in Calgary. Super dry here. I can't think of too much else to say in closing, other than you really should check out Bittersweet Trail. It's only about as long as this podcast episode, so if you've made it this far, I know you have the attention span. It's worth it. I also want to thank you for spending time with me and Kenji on the show today. 
I've been lucky enough to cover all kinds of interesting topics here, and you can find past episodes on your favorite podcast platform. While you're there, please be sure to subscribe. If you want to get in touch and tell me the profound story of your Thanksgiving dinner this month, leave a comment or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash so what podcast. My name is Jonas Cornelson. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you again next month. <laughs>